action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We are concluding our series on non-superhero comic book movies with a trilogy of films adapted from books by legendary British writer Alan Moore. For this second part, we watched The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, directed by Stephen Norrington. The comic this is based on, written by Alan Moore and drawn by Kevin O'Neill, is wonderfully dense and seeped in late Victorian era style. Have you read any, Joshua? I haven't, and I have never seen the film either. Well, I mean, obviously I've watched it for this, but... Really? This is the first time you've seen it? Yes, because when it came out in 2003, it just... The trailers were so bad, and it just... It had stinker written all over it, so I didn't go anywhere (laughs) near it. And I really wish that I didn't have to watch it for this podcast as well. (laughs) So you really didn't enjoy it? I. It was there on the screen, and... Uh, I feel like I watched it, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. I feel like I've purged it already. (laughs) See, I have seen it before. I didn't see it in the cinema. Uh I have seen it before. I've read a bulk of the comic books. I've actually bought some that I haven't yet got round to reading because although it starts in the late Victorian era and it's obviously set in an alternative kind of steampunk world, Alan Moore does bring the characters up to date so they... They sort of become immortal because they exist in the 60s and then into 2010. Hmm. Um, I think, I actually think the comic book series has come to an end now. I don't think it's one of those continuations. I think they they did it in series and specials, but it wasn't Hmm. a, a continuous thing for like 15 years. He just kept delving back into it. Oh, that's cool. So it wasn't I like a, the comic book. It wasn't like a graphic novel where it was a book it was an actual series it was an actual series yeah so series one was six issues series two was six issues series three was actually called the black dossier and that came out as a as a as a graphic novel mm. as a as just a bulk and then a couple of different bits here and there um it's definitely been one that he's sort of delved in and out of and i think he considers it the greatest thing he's ever done oh wow okay and that's pretty impressive given his cv well exactly so it's always it's always bizarre when creators do that because you often think well yes they obviously have their personal opinion and they have they can have a certain you know um uh idea of how they have developed but surely when you know a pop band or a writer compare something they've done now to something amazing they did then and the thing now is nowhere near the level mm. that of that last thing or the thing they did years ago you always have to question is it just a market employee or are they completely like blind mm. to how much they've lost it well i always think about that with um like ridley scott, ridley scott? yeah who <laughs> he talks about prometheus and alien covenant as if they're these masterpieces of philosophy and it's like mate alien was a masterpiece and you are basically flogging a dead xenomorph with these sequels (laughs) but the thing with him is and this became apparent when he was talking about the reshoots they did for all the money in the world oh yeah when kevin spacey was kicked out the film but they'd already shot and finished the film so then they had to go back in and shoot 
reshoot all of those scenes with a newly cast Christopher Plummer, the way that Ridley Scott spoke about it was more in line with a very talented production manager, producer, rather than a director or storyteller wanting to mm. make an artistic statement. Which is odd because he was he's, he was an arts school graduate. You know, he was an artist and that shows in his early work. Anyway. <laughs> but I personally, having read, having read the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics, I personally wouldn't put it on the same level as Watchmen mm. or From Hell. I would put it one rung down. I'm not saying that the, the, the crevice in between them is, is huge, but it, I personally just would not put it up at the, the level of, of From Hell or, or Watchmen. It's very indulgent. It allows Alan Moore to very much indulge in these characters in this world. So quite often you get, obviously, the episodes, the episodes, you get the issues of the comic book. But then there's always, and I'll show you on camera here, but I'll describe it. There's always pages and pages and pages of faux Victorian documents that kind of build and, and support the world i love that kind of stuff it's cool but it's very indulgent and i don't and it's written in the victorian style of course animals phenomenal that he can just switch from writing in different styles and it's so clearly his voice he probably is one of the the most underrated writers Mm. in britain because he's worked in the comic book medium he's not elevated to the same level as let's say jk fucking rowling Yeah, well, there is something to be said for... children's author David Wallings. No, don't even start. Um, There is something to be said for the medium of graphic novels where something about the graphic part just seems to turn people's noses up. I mean, the people who who kind of make decisions like who gets awards and all that stuff. Um, But clearly... Because they see it as a a form for comic, uh, for children. Yeah. But really, I mean, some of the things in, in this comic book some of the most macabre things i've ever seen done and it could and it could really only be done in the comic book form because Mm. it's panel to panel to panel to panel you're controlling the 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 amount of time that you're portraying in let's say just six or seven or eight panels Mm. but i had seen this one before didn't see it in cinema saw it on i think it was sky and i've always really enjoyed it i know that it's completely it's completely and utterly flawed it's really difficult to know what's going on but as a concept i think it's a really great concept the idea that all these literary characters exist in the same world Mm. alan quatermain mina harker the invisible man dorian gray captain nemo dr jekyll mr hyde tom sawyer m the phantom of the opera all existing in the same world so of course they would interact and suddenly have this adventure either with each other or against each other yeah it's a great idea and i think that's why um in 1988 producer joel silver bought the rights wasn't it or was it early 90s i think it was early 90s he bought he'd already bought the rights for v vendetta and watchmen in the 80s and then he snapped up oh in, in watchmen i see yeah, yeah yeah bought watchmen in the 80s um but this this book didn't come out until the late 90s. I think 1998 was the first. No, two, uh, 1999 was the first issue. Uh, okay. when it, the, a whole thing was made. Alan Moore was returning to DC Comics. Mm. And the thing fallen is, out over the rights of Watchmen. In, in contrast to the other 
um, books that he's had adapted. The, this hadn't the, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen hadn't actually been published um, before the film came out. I think it came out. The book was published just just before the film was released. A couple of years, nineteen ninety nine, and then this film's what two thousand and three. Oh right, because what I read was that they they didn't have anything to work with. Basically, they just had their own script that they just made up. <laughs> exactly. So the film doesn't actually follow. Yeah. The story of the the comic book series, and it's it's a great idea. You can see why why it was optioned because, you know, we've seen it done better in Avengers, where it's great big personalities coming together trying to work as a team but they have to like set aside their differences and you in order to take down the bad guy great but i just felt like this this film just did it in such a ham-fisted way it's it's the problem why is that well the problem is it wants to use all these fantastic characters but it doesn't trust that the audience actually knows who they are so it keeps trying to introduce them and gives them really really dodgy dialogue um that kind of <laughs> all the characters speak as if they're reading out their memoirs it's like they just they they tell you who they are in very short sound bites that are really wooden and out of context um because the film wants to have these characters but it just doesn't think that you know who they are so it keeps trying to remind you of who they are well would a regular cinema go and know who mina harker is when was the last time mm. there was a dracula movie that that did any sort of business i've never read dracula I picked it up. As soon as I realised that it was just letters, I was like, nope. Just letters? Oh, right, not yeah. In, like an not not interesting. Yeah, obviously. Books I thought you were like, just letters. <laughs> there are letters in everything that's written. <laughs> <laughs> but it's letters and diary yeah. entry, and I can't bear books like uh, that. Oh, okay. Because it's such a, it breaks up. It's such a, it's such a, like a flow breaker. Mm. I suppose it, it exposes the mechanics of the story in some ways. Have you read it? I haven't read it. No, I think I, I read a book called the historian um which is fantastic and takes takes the dracula myth and does some really clever right. stuff with it like vlad the impaler so i always think i have read dracula but i think i've just read the historian <laughs> so i've i've never read any of them i've tried to read dorian gray i like dorian gray so i found it really dull so i just read the remake <laughs> that will self did in the late 90s called uh dorian oh. and it's actually really it's actually really good because it it, it resets the story in um the 80s and the 90s and maybe the 70s and it deals with um the aids crisis oh that's interesting and instead of a, instead of a painting it's a video installation huh. project okay interesting Tom Sawyer's obviously cropped up in Huckleberry Finn and I haven't read Huckleberry Finn since school I think GCSE, GCSE, yeah, same. And I found it excruciatingly boring. <laughs> um, I've never read Phantom of the Opera, and obviously M has cropped up just a little bit yeah. in some of the James Bond books I've I've read. So I know M is not... Moriarty from Sherlock. Oh, Holmes. is he? Yeah. Oh, from Sherlock Holmes, yeah. right? I I don't watch Sherlock Holmes. I don't read Sherlock Holmes. I used to have an old copy of Hound of the Baskervilles, and it wasn't until years later that I realised it was a Sherlock Holmes book. I just thought it was a like a, <laughs> a nice detective a story about dogs. Um, <laughs> but I've never, so I'm I'm not aware of any of them, hmm. and I don't. I've I've seen a version of Dorian Gray. I don't think I've ever seen any of these other characters on screen. Wow. Okay. But it doesn't stop me enjoying this film. 
<laughs> I'm really surprised that you liked it because you're normally such a snob. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was Sean Connery's final screen performance. It broke him. The film broke him. It, it really did, yeah. yeah. He argued with Stephen Norrington so much. He basically said, fuck this, I'm out of here. He said, um, what was it he said that was really funny? <laughs> this is something like, I did one day of shooting and then I realised this guy's a maniac or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was what, 80, no, he was 75 by yeah, then. Yeah, he was old by then. And it's like a big action role. So I would struggle it and I'm 30 I well, I think he does. I think he does perfectly fine in this film. But the problem is, and you're not going to like this, mm-hmm. Mina Mina Harker is the leader of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in the comic books. And in the comic books, she is tasked to put together this band of of ne'er do wells, and they have to go to Cairo to get Alan Quatermain, who is a washed up opium addict. Yeah, and Connery refused but they, to play an opium addict. Because he's an executive producer, so he was like, I'm not doing that. Bye. But it's a shame because he becomes the leader of the band here. Mm. What a meaty role that would have been for him to be an opioid addict rather than... Subservient to a woman as well. Well, yeah, exactly. But also, you know, it's lovely that he has his sort of arc where he becomes a surrogate father for Tom Sawyer. Mm. But what a meaty role it would have been to be a a drug addict amongst all of this craziness. I think they missed a trick. Well, I think that by this point in his career, people just wanted him to play Sean Connery. So that's basically what he did. So that's just it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no real difference between what he's doing here and what he did in Entrapment or what he did in The Rock. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Well, no, I think Henry Jones Sr. is more of a, a soft but stern kind of yeah. character wouldn't punch anyone. Whereas Alan Quatermain is basically his his brutish version of Bond. Yeah. It's like an old version of Bond. Yeah, and he's he's fine in it, but he's kind of he's become a punchline to his own joke by this point, where the voice, the pronunciation of words and stuff is just so strong and so like it's iconic but it's just weird and i actually found it really difficult to understand what he was saying a lot of the time which i know you're not supposed to say that about people with speech impediments but it's um i found he doesn't it doesn't have a speech impediment he has a scottish accent <laughs> no but if you watch him if you watch him in his 70s talking and then watch him in his 30s it's a different way of talking he changed it specifically i think you think yeah it's a, it's a, it was a performance the way he was delivering lines like that it was almost like share share can't just be share anymore she has to be like sure yeah sure exactly oh she's like other people's impressions of her so you said he became a a parody of himself and i guess that does make sense because once he he impales that soldier on the horn of a rhinoceros and the yeah the Union Jack flutters down onto the man's face. He does go, rule Britannia. He's like, God shave the queens. Yeah, it's tone, <laughs> tonally the film God is God shave over. the queen? <laughs> Why do you need to shave the queen? Was Victoria really hairy? What's weird though is I, I hadn't seen the film, but every time he dropped a one-liner, I was like, I know that line. And I think it must be because the trailer was everywhere in 2002 or three, whenever it was. Um, so all of his lines like god i hate getting old and i don't like theatrics all this kind of stuff was it was embedded in my head for some weird reason i guess it was the trailer but 
It just must like have been a trauma dream. Yeah, it is a shame though. I felt so bad for um, Peter Wilson who played Mina because it really is just like inverted commas the girl role where she's basically ogled, yeah. she's manipulated. She has that awful bit where she fights Dorian Gray. It's like they just seen Underworld and they put her in this leather bodice. They have a fight. <laughs> Then she kind of gets impaled by a sword and then she revives, but her hair is different and she looks like a different person. It's like really bizarre. And it's just a shame that her character was... She wasn't a vampire in the book. No, she's like a British intelligence officer. Or she's something. just got... Well, she's just got the, the scars. Because ah. she survives. Doesn't she survive the, the novel in, in, in Dracula? She, isn't she Winona Ryder in that film? <laughs> in the Coppola film? <laughs> <laughs> she is the mum from Stranger Things. How do you feel about Stuart Townsend? Terrible. <laughs> so smarmy and smug. Yeah, I I like the fact that he's he is queer coded because that character is very. Um, a, it's not asexual. It's the other one. It's um, polyamorous kind of thing. Very sexual. Very, very <laughs> sexual. Um, Dorian Gray is 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 presented as bisexual in mm. the book. I know that much. But then he's but given it's very, these... it's very coded. It's very yeah. You know, it's 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 very it's an undercurrent. It's not obvious because it was illegal then. I love how when he 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 um he tears off the front of his clothing, it miraculously heals just like his body does. It's very impressive. He's got a good tailor. <laughs> no, it, it's with, it's within the same scene. He's suddenly fixed it. Anyway, I think he was really hammy, but that's not his fault. I think that maybe he was told to deliver those stupid lines in that way. So, are there too many characters? Um, well, no, because. If you look at Avengers Assemble, or in America, just the Avengers, it has, what, 16 lead characters or something ridiculous? And yet it works. And I know that's because we had laid the groundwork with standalones. But the film and Joss Whedon knew how to use them. It knew who to pair off to do what together and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think that this film fatally misunderstands how to actually utilize an ensemble and i mean it does try because you know big surprise dorian gray turns out to be um a bad guy and all this kind of stuff but captain nemo gets a few cool lines and he's a great fighter but he doesn't really get to do anything apart from own a ship um <laughs> you know the uh, and also that's a fun fact it's not the invisible man it's an invisible man because they couldn't get the rights yes. <laughs> they no couldn't they couldn't get the rights. it's just brilliant <laughs> an invisible man so in the book alan quatermain mina harker the invisible man dr jekyll mr hyde and captain nemo are the league of extraordinary gentlemen dorian gray tom sawyer and the phantom don't appear they're not yeah. part of the book i'm not surprised because so it, when Tom Sawyer turns up, it's like, oh, is this the token American to make sure that Americans watch this? But if you, but if you've already got six or seven characters that you need to make allowances for, why? And your film is not two and a half hours like Endgame or mm. In- Infinity War would become. Actually, Endgame was three hours. Why would you make it more difficult? Why would you make the box more crowded? Mm. Especially like you said, these are. This is not the combination of five or six or seven standalone films that suddenly end up being League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Assembled, mm. where you have a short form, you know, you have a shorthand where you go, oh, we know Captain America already. We don't need to introduce a character and their backstory. Here, 
you've got to you've got to make sure that everyone knows who everyone is and everyone's on the same page at the same time so that's why like you said everyone's talking in mini monologues explaining who they are yeah i just don't think the film it's 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 kids entertainment essentially is what you know it's aimed at 10 year olds so the film never pauses for breath and never it never lets the characters mm. actually have any kind of meaningful um, interaction it's too busy making sure that it hits that like every 10 minutes there's a huge explosion type thing with the exception of alan quatermain and tom sawyer i really i really enjoyed their their little arc where tom became the surrogate son i just got distracted by his bad wig i thought the wig was terrible so i just <laughs> couldn't buy into it is this a case of the filmmakers not taking the source material seriously not respecting the source material and i don't mean just you know the victorian source novels i mean the alan moore book is this is this still a case of where hollywood will buy the rights to something and then just not not respect the fact that it's a comic book they just turn it into a movie that's what it kind of looks like it looks like hollywood is very much about brands and that's why you get so many remakes because a brand has a power to it and it has it's able to attract money which is what hollywood does it looks for money so if you have a title like the league of extraordinary gentlemen that's a really fantastic title it is a brand and i think that you know there is a, this misguided belief that you can just have a brand and that's going to sell itself and in this case it didn't because you know they paid sean connery 17 million dollars to be in this and then the rest of the money 17 million 17 oh 17 yeah. oh god they even that's enough. and that's like half the budget pretty much or well, it's not it's like a quarter of the budget and um when do you think hollywood changed when did it become when did it become a thing to have a a comic book ip let's say and respect it and be okay that it's a comic book was it a couple of years later with with ang lee's hulk i mean like christopher reeves superman fantastic everyone mm. loves it there's moments like tim burton's batman it's but they were always the exception to the rule it, you know then so after batman there was spawn which completely flopped and you know for every time there was a good but one there was incredibly a... respectful i would say oh. even though spawn was terrible it's incredibly respectful oh really yeah oh. it's just badly written yeah i think how do you feel about the surely it's that as soon as they start making money they get some respect you know marvel proved it could make a shit ton of money and make good mm. films most of the time and so that's when the, you start to get respect. Whereas if you are the the drop in the ocean like Batman was in 1989 or um, Blade in 1998, which was directed by Stephen Norrington, who's actually fantastic. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a great film. Mm. So that, you know, they were always the exception. So it wasn't like, yes, this is a fantastic film. It, it's kind of, I don't know, it, I feel like it has to make money first before anyone's going to take it seriously. It's a shame. Do you think the ratio has flipped? Do you think the the drop in the ocean now are the shit ones <laughs> well ask dc <laughs> <laughs> so did you what's the story of this film i was so confused for the entire oh film. my god i don't know what, what is the story <laughs> <laughs> i think it's m or the phantom the same thing right well actually m turns out to be the phantom who turns out to be he moriarty wants, yeah he wants does he want their powers or something in order to defeat them but he's the one that brought them together in the first place yeah but he brought them together in the first place in order to steal 
their powers because he's in cahoots with Dorian Gray. Yeah, it doesn't... I feel like if you want to get their powers, the worst thing you could do is make them realise that each other exists. So putting them together as a team is completely counterintuitive. You're just setting yourself up to fall. Yeah, why not just send Dorian out individually seduce to get them their all. powers? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he's the perfect one to try and seduce. I mean, I can't imagine that Sean Connery's going to go for him. You never know. Everyone's got a little drop of gay in them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean Connery um, took umbrage that at one point he knew his character was holding another naked man by the throat. In this film? Yeah, because he's holding the Invisible Man, isn't he? And the Invisible Man is naked when you can't see him. Oh, Sean Connery, It's only when he puts the makeup and the clothes on. Well, who's a man? Yeah. He's a man's man who has no problem slapping a woman in the face. I know, I did watch that interview. It Actually, was it? I watched an interview with him that wasn't the one from the 60s, but was one that like followed up on it that I think yeah, was from the 80s, the 80s. with Barbara Waters. Because she asked him the same yeah, thing. Yeah, and I was... She was like... She was like, you said you had no problem hitting women. Has your has your opinion changed? Mm. And you'd think he'd be like, oh, yeah, I've softened. Yeah. He just doubled down and said, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Why don't I slap you? <laughs> <laughs> it is shocking. What an absolute shocking asshole. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, we're all very woke now, but I don't think that many people would have been going around slapping their wives, and, or you'd hope not anyway. I don't think you have to be woke to realise well, that no. it's probably not the best way. And it, yes, he's from a different period, but he's not deaf, dumb and blind. It's just that it's this weird, um, it's this very arrogant, chauvinistic male view of women, which is sometimes you just got to slap them because they're so hysterical. They won't see sense. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like they're not an animal. Women probably think you're a fucking animal. <laughs> anyway... Let's move on. Do you think it would make a great adventure TV series? I think it would make a great comic book. (laughs) (laughs) That was The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, directed by Stephen Norrington. Joshua, give us a clue as to what's coming up next. Oh, we're shaving our heads. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast so you don't miss an episode. And we're on Twitter at TornStubsPod. Are you a fan of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Did you enjoy it? Did you watch it in 2003? Um, would you rather watch Blade or something else? Let us know. We're after Rule Britannia. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh Winning. Cut! <laughs>